You're listening to Mission Lab. Mission Lab. From our living new man, Rain. Here's our parents, Sean and Camille Brace. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Mission Lab. I don't even know what episode this is. I have lost track, so you'll just have to figure that out yourself. But I am really excited because I have a f- another friend on the show today. And um, it's kind of weird because my guest, Kessia Rain Bennett, is someone that I have, I guess you could say, known for. I was just thinking about this, Kessia Rain. It's been probably like close to a decade where we've known each other basically uh, online. Um, I think we both met each other on Twitter like mm-hmm. probably like 10 years ago. So that's pretty crazy. This is the first time though in 10 years that I can think of that we've actually had a conversation, direct conversation with each other. So that's really cool. Thank you for being on the show with me today, Cassie Rain. Thank you. Yes, it's it's good to be with you. and. You're right. I think when I, so I joined Twitter like 12 and a half years ago. And so I don't know, were you on it back in 2008? I Um, think I joined in 2011-ish. And of course I'm not on it anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You fly by night guy. Well, yeah, (laughs) because I remember we have so many mutual friends and I, you had a blog. I don't know if you still blog there at New England Mm -hmm. Pastor. And I read Mm -hmm. a, a piece you wrote there and Mary Magdalene. And I was like, oh, oh. really appreciated hmm. that. And then we ended up following each other and then on Instagram and we've done Marco Polos, but yeah. this is the first actual synchronous conversation we're doing. It's great. The <laughs> it's, people get to witness the first one. I know. They should count themselves so incredibly lucky because this incredible. is history history being made right now. So uh, yeah. So why don't you just share briefly, who are you? What do you do? What What's your life all about, Cassia Rain? Yeah, thanks. Yes. Yeah, so uh, I live here in Lincoln, Nebraska. I've been here for a few years now. I am an associate pastor at the College View Church. We serve our community here in Lincoln, Nebraska, and also uh, have a lot of interest and connections with Union College, which is a Seventh-day Adventist college right across the street from us. And there's a K-12 school uh, next to that as well. So um, I'm part of the staff that serves this, uh, these institutions and, and these different community groups. Um, I have been here for I think three and a half years we moved here from Chicago so I'm I'm still getting the Midwest uh, vibe I think but I've lived in the Midwest now for such a long time I went to seminary in Southwest Michigan and mm-hmm. then Chicago and now here so I think I'm getting to be um, a Midwesterner but I grew up on oh, the West Coast, so it's still taking a while for me to say things in the right way and and get the <laughs> right you know cultural cues um, <laughs> Yeah, so I live here. I've got a husband and a couple little girls. Um, I am a student also, a little bit on the side. So I finished my work, um, coursework for a PhD in systematic theology from a school in Illinois called Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. And I'm writing my dissertation for that right now. Um, and that those things take up a lot of my life between family <laughs> and church ministry and dissertation. That's a lot of what I'm up to. Mm, would you maybe warn me not to go down that path since I will be about to embark on that latter part, the dissertation part soon? I, I, <laughs> I bear no advice. <laughs> yeah. I bear no advice. Uh, my last Instagram post was all about, is balance like even real? Mm, is that even mm-hmm. a real concept? Because <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing, Sean. So we're just, we're just <laughs> out here trying to be faithful and make it work. That's that's encouraging. That's very encouraging. Um, so, but you're hoping to finish up sooner rather than later on your in your dissertation, yeah? Yes. I mean, there are just a lot of chapters to write, but yeah, sooner mm-hmm. rather than later. I think mm-hmm. I'll I'll still be writing it in 2022. Okay. All right. So, yeah, and, and, that this year next. And what is it that you're writing it on? I'm writing it on 
tradition. And so mm -hmm. uh, it pulls in a lot of threads as, as you know, dissertations tend to do. Specifically, I'm looking at how, like, what is tradition? What is authority? What is, um, we're going to take a specific kind of look at theological argumentation. And mm -hmm. I'm asking a question about how do um, theologians use tradition in their theological argument making when they're trying to make a case or something? Where does tradition show up? Mm. And maybe where should it show up? Um, mm. Mm. So, yeah. Fascinating. 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 Yeah, really cool. So you said you grew up on the West Coast, Oregon, I believe, right? Yeah, you know, I moved a lot. So oh, I lived in Oregon, okay. Washington, Northern Idaho, uh, California, North and South. Okay, nice. So the that's, coast, that's, the, yeah. whole, the whole side the of the The whole continent. thing. That's just your <laughs> your home is the West Coast. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man, that's cool. I love the Northwest specifically. It's a really awesome place. Um, I'm glad you, to hear you say that because <laughs> we've had a long time feud about the Northeast versus uh, the Northwest. I, I make no... I, I, I'm not um, ashamed at all to say that I love the Northwest. If I didn't live here, I would probably want to live there. It's a beautiful, beautiful area. Uh, I may have shared with you that my wife is from Oregon originally. And um, yeah, it's I love it there. So no arguments from me. But uh, everything in between is where there's a big breakdown. And I'm, <laughs> I pray for you. <laughs> hearing that you've kind of settled into the Midwest. Oh man, I'm sorry, but hey, you're where God wants you to be, I trust. That's right. That's exactly right. <laughs> yeah. So so you grew up there on the West Coast. Um, you did not necessarily grow up in a a family of faith. Yeah. You you weren't your family weren't necessarily Jesus followers. Yeah, that's right. So both of my parents had been raised in sort of complicated Christian homes. Um, but by the time uh, I came around, they were, you know, I don't know if they have ever considered themselves disciples of Jesus, mm -hmm. but they certainly didn't by the time I met them um, back in the early 80s. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I grew up in a, in a family that was that was agnostic, I would say, about mm -hmm. religion and faith. Maybe they had some sort of... Um, they have a history with Christianity, but yeah, I grew up without, you know, we didn't really go to church. I say really, we didn't go mm -hmm. to church. We didn't read the Bible or anything. I had some other religious people in my life that God used to help introduce me to the faith a little bit along the way. But then I, I came into faith in Jesus as a teenager, mm -hmm. um, separate from my family. That caused a little bit of conflict uh, with us. Not mm -hmm. too bad, but a little bit. Uh, we are on good terms now. Uh, mm -hmm. It's been, been a while. Um, so, yeah, so I, I came into the faith really uh, as a surprise to myself and a surprise to the people who knew me. <laughs> hmm. Hmm. Tell me about that. Why, why was it a surprise to everybody? Well, you know, again, not being a religious family, that mm -hmm. was definitely part of it. They weren't necessarily anti-Christian Mm -hmm. But I think they would consider themselves maybe anti-fanatical. And mm -hmm. when I when I became a disciple of Jesus, I seemed fanatical to them. Um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I wasn't maybe casual enough or regular enough or normal enough. Um, also, you know, I, I became a, a Christian. I, I had experienced different kinds of faith communities before that. So I went to a Bible study with my friend, Julie, and mm -hmm. uh, those were Baptists studying the Bible and my friend Ryan and, and that, you know, they were Baptists. And my friend Whitney was um, of the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. So I went mm -hmm. to a Mormon church one Sunday and my best friend in uh, for a few years in elementary school, her dad was a Presbyterian pastor. So I had been there. I had, you know, books on my, on my shelf from, you know, Ayurvedic meditation and astral projection and uh, mm. had an interest in world religions. So I was definitely already kind of a black sheep of my family and being very spiritual, quote unquote. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I was interested in spiritual things. I was interested in religion. Whenever anyone invited me to something, I was up for it. I wanted to try it, experience it. But ultimately, I, I heard the call, the convicting call of Jesus and answered it. 
uh, in a Seventh-day Adventist community. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I am a Seventh-day Adventist, a, a Christian and Seventh-day Adventist pastor. So that was also, I think, a bit of a shock, especially to my mom, who didn't have much relationship with Seventh-day Adventists mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and trying to figure out what is this thing about Sabbath and what are the rules around that? And am I allowed to give you Christmas presents on that day? And, <laughs> you know, just like yeah, yeah, what's yeah. going on. And and I think in a little bit, it felt to them like they had lost uh, me. I kind mm-hmm, of transported mm-hmm. to this new set of commitments and there was some new vocabulary and new practices that they felt on the outside of. But, mm. um, but yeah, so it, it, it surprised people. I think that I really went all in Yeah, because that, who, who, who does that? There was no, we didn't have a model for that. Especially um, when you're what, like 13, 14, 15 mm-hmm. or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I was baptized at, at 14 and hmm. my mom jokes that that was my teenage rebellion. <laughs> becoming a devout Christian. Ah, never got over it though, I guess. <laughs> That's exactly oh. right. Yeah. So what, so what, maybe just briefly, what drew you into Adventism as opposed to the Baptist faith or the Mormon faith or, you know, Presbyterians or whatever else? Yeah. Oh, that's a great question. I, well, you know, I, I, I have this interest that has persisted in theology mm-hmm. enough so that I'm doing, working on that PhD in systematic theology. And the theology was very important to me. It was not mm-hmm. the sole and total reason Mm-hmm. But this was such a remarkable uh, set of of understandings that puzzled together in such a way. I mean, it it, it stunned me. It it opened my mind. It excited me. It thrilled mm-hmm. me. I felt mm-hmm. that it had so much explanatory power about uh, lived human experience and theodicy. You know, questions about sin and mm-hmm. suffering and the current reality and what the Bible really means and how it fits together. And so that was very, that was very powerful to me. And again, because I didn't, I I kind of casually went to church sometimes. Mm -hmm. So I didn't have super strong set beliefs, for instance, about um, the afterlife Mm -hmm. or about, uh, you know, the apocalypse or Mm -hmm the Mm -hmm. 10 commandments or communion or anything like that. So I didn't necessarily need to be convinced out of different Christian beliefs. Yeah. Um, But this was the, this was a, the first time I had heard a really clear, coherent um, presentation of theology. And it also accorded with this community that Mm. was living out a Mm. lot of gospel and it mm. was it was very persuasive on that level too. It, it was it wasn't just theoretical, but I was kind of watching this community and participating in that community, and then decided to move there in order to keep my connection with the community. So actually, my mom was living in California. I was living with her, and I'd actually just gone up to Washington State to visit my dad mm-hmm. for a couple weeks, and God turned that into four weeks and then he turned that into two months and then he very clearly communicated to me um you know this was kind of my discipleship moment this discipleship call am i going to leave my nets and follow him uh or was i going to go back to my life and everything i knew in california and so i ended up actually moving to washington state um to stay in touch with this faith community this adventist community i had become acquainted with and so I, I was with them for another eight months before I decided to be baptized. Hmm. Hmm. Um, so yeah, it, theologically, it was powerful. And that included both a biblical presentation, a systematic theological presentation, and also a, a life presentation, a community hmm. presentation. Hmm. It was very powerful. Hmm. Oh, man, I love that. It reminds me of, of what Leslie Newbegin says about how the Christian community is the hermeneutic of the gospel. And um, yeah, when you were, you shared that with me before, you know, obviously one of our big emphases here on this podcast and just in my ministry in general is the importance of the power of the community. And so they, you know, the, the Christian community had such a huge part in your discipleship. Tell, tell me a little bit more how that manifested. Yeah. So 
um, the, you know, the, the mysteries of Providence, I ended up when going to visit my dad, my dad was staying with an Adventist and his three kids, single dad. And hmm. uh, so there ended up being two single dads and five kids in this house wow. for a couple weeks. And, um, and they invited me to church with them. And like I said, I was very spiritually curious. So um, I said, oh, sure. And they said it was on Saturday. And I was like, oh, all right, <laughs> great. So we went on Saturday. Um, but, you know, they had this youth group, which was appropriate for my age at that time. But mm -hmm. it was unlike other youth groups I had been to. Um, I had actually been to youth groups before. And just to kind of paint a contrast for you, what I was used to youth group being was you show up at the church and, you know, it's, I don't know, maybe it's. 90 minutes mm -hmm. long um you play a game maybe you play kickball or something like that for a while then you come in and you have snacks that somebody you know picked up from the grocery store donuts and fruit punch or whatever um and you hang out and you mess around and stuff and then you yeah. hear a leader give a presentation on some biblical topic for the last maybe 15 or 20 minutes and then you hang out to parents come pick you up Mm -hmm. That that was my experience of mm -hmm. what it meant to be in a youth-focused religious group. Mm -hmm. This was very different. This was, um, we met in someone's home. Mm -hmm. That's That was the first big difference. So like mm -hmm. the feel is very different. We mm -hmm. met, um, the, the food was homemade. So we all ate together mm -hmm. and we ate, a, we ate dinner on Friday nights together in someone's home. We all piled in there and it could be crowded, but yeah, it was kind of the part of the vibe. Um, remember pre COVID days when like, oh, you were yeah. just elbow to elbow everywhere. Yeah. Oh, those <laughs> like were the that. good old days. I know we'll be back soon. Um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so, so that was different. Also, there were a ton that was very, it was much more intergenerational. Number one, mm -hmm. the youth group was not just high schoolers. Mm -hmm. It was probably 12 year olds to 22 year olds. Mm -hmm. And I don't know how that would work in all other contexts, but it worked there. Mm -hmm. um, there mm -hmm. were a ton of parents involved. So there were mm -hmm. probably uh, four or five sets of parents that showed up pretty much every week. And that mm -hmm. could be a single dad or a two parent family, mm -hmm. but they were there. So there was a lot of kind of uh, intergenerational mixing. There was a lot of mentoring that kind of happens, that sort of informal mentoring that just comes from sharing space and, and stuff together. Then we, we sang together. Mm -hmm. We mm -hmm. shared prayer requests together and it, and it was very participatory. So the students were sharing, um, I mean, like the, the, the young people were sharing right alongside the older, uh, mentor figures. And then we had a Bible study for an hour. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And it was, so it was very different in terms of, I had a lot more, I think, participation and buy-in and ownership to the whole situation. Mm-hmm. It was much more intergenerational. It was much more personal. It was much more home focused. So that was a big draw for me. Mm. Um, that was that made a big difference for me in terms of my experience. So I think that was part of that community. And then when I moved there, you know, I I didn't have you know my single dad. He, we did not have a lot of money, um, and so this church became my family. Uh, in mm -hmm. so many ways, mm -hmm. not only did I need their, their familial sheltering, just because there was now this distance between me and my birth family because of my religious commitment. Um, but also, you know, they would pick me up and take me to the doctor when I had bronchitis and mm -hmm. pay for my medication. And they made sure I had clothes that I've felt appropriate for church in, um, and made sure that somebody always paid for me to go on every uh, whitewater rafting trip or Easter camp out or mm. things like that. They they watched me make a lot of mistakes. Um, they were gracious with me. They gave me opportunities to serve very early on. So before I was baptized, even like three months before I was baptized, I didn't even have a commitment to be baptized. Um, but I was definitely a follower of Jesus at that point. And, I, you know, I gave a little... 10 minute, basically like a sermonette on a youth <laughs> Sabbath. Hmm. Um, so, I mean, all of those things where there was so much support, encouragement, mentoring, role modeling, invitation to leadership, to service, to ministry, to sharing, um, 
letting me in their homes. I mean, I, I would spend, Sabbath for me was as soon as our Friday night group started all the way until somebody dropped me off back at home mm. late Saturday night. Mm, that's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Man, that's I, the whole thing. It just really warms my heart. It's uh, such a powerful picture of community. And um, that's such a blessing. That's that's the type of thing that I'm striving for. It's so hard in in this uh, in this disconnected world, of course, all the more so with COVID. But but on the other hand, we, you and I have talked a little bit about this, and and um, you know, there's a few different directions that hopefully we can get to here moving forward. But just briefly, we've talked about where's the line between having a community that's all in and, and, you know, sharing life together um, versus like maybe being a little too pressurized, if you know what I mean. You know, you've kind of shared with me some stories of community gone wrong or maybe yeah. gone, you know, too, too, uh, I don't know what the word is, you know, just pressurized. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. Where, yeah. Well, I've been in situations and I've seen this play out in, um, where leadership is really wanting to call people to Christian community and a high commitment for discipleship and involvement, but that could turn into really spiritual shaming, mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. kind of an in-group, out-group thing. And yeah, I, I've definitely seen that go toxic. As for where where is the line, oh, anytime I have to ask <laughs> the question, I never end up knowing where anyone yeah. is, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I feel that same tension because, and again, you know, you and I are both pastors and mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. our, our relationship to these things is probably different than others, but I long for my church. I long for, for my Christian community to be more in, right. Mm -hmm. you know, I, mm -hmm. I, I long to see more commitment. I long to see them say, maybe this other thing that's not bad, that's good, but may maybe this other commitment isn't a priority if it prevents me from being able to invest in and receive from my church community more fully. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, are we willing to give up, I don't know, whatever, like <laughs> youth sports yeah, or yeah. Um, our commitment to watching entertainment. Oh, careful now. Careful. I know. I know. I know. <laughs> and I, I have to ask myself this too. You know, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm as busy as the next person, you know, with all mm -hmm. the things I've got going on. But I, that's one of the questions on my mind is I, I want to see them do that. On the other hand, um, I don't want people to feel overcommitted and overstretched. Mm -hmm. So what's the, yeah. yeah, I don't know. You, you've been thinking about this a long time. Do you oh. have any Ideas no, well, I mean, you know, one thing that we talk about, and it, it good, it's, it sounds good in theory, but uh, one thing I've picked up along the way is, is it's not even necessarily about changing your schedule per se, so much as it is just being intentional about what your schedule already asks of you. So, like youth sports, um, you know, you don't have to give that up so much as just recognize that when you're there on the sideline and when your child is playing soccer or whatever, realizing that that moment is an opportunity to, you know, be a part of God's mission and, mm -hmm. you know, just being intentional about creating community wherever you are. And, um, I think just so many of us don't realize that every moment, as I say, has the capacity to communicate the gospel. So it's not, someone has said, it's not about, anything additional. It's just about being intentional about what you're already doing. Um, so yeah, but how that all plays out, oh man, I think at least acknowledging that there is a line is like half the battle, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, that's we're not even true. aware of that. I like that perspective about, you know, taking the commitments that you already have and then being intentional about them for, mm. um, so that the goodness of God can manifest there and influence people there and, and make a difference there. Yeah. Um, and that's different than just trying to program, programatize yeah. Yeah, yeah. everything. 
yeah. where everything is is a sign up sheet and yeah. a ten to twelve week commitment or a two year term of service or you know um, mm-hmm. I really like that a lot and mm-hmm. and we're always struggling in church. I think this reflects the larger struggle that we have as Christians in community between we need to um, we need to be people who are in touch with others outside of our faith group. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We need to be Absolutely. living life. We need to be salt and light. We need to be meeting people and, and being good neighbors and all of that. So there's sort of the, how can we as, as Christians bless our neighbors just mm-hmm. in our life? And then also the tension there about how do we build up the family that we have inside, mm-hmm. you know, the, mm-hmm. the church yeah. family, how do we, how do we build friendship there, commitment, trust, growing together? Um, and yeah, so I think this is reflecting that larger. Yeah, absolutely. Tension. Absolutely. And that's that. Yeah, that's what, you know, this whole podcast and and our life is trying to do, figure that out and, and just call people's attention to that. Um, I wanted to transition a little bit because, and it's not so much a transition, but it is um, a little bit of a turn. Um, and you and I have talked a lot about this. We're, we're kind of in dialogue about this and you received these like 20 minute Marco Polos from me. Um, <laughs> so what about like, you know, you, you came to faith, uh, however many years ago, you know, 25 years ago or whatever. Um, things have obviously changed both for you personally and just our kind of cultural context. And, and we've kind of talked about being in a post postmodern era in some ways. Um, what, so how do we, like, what does discipleship look like in 2021? Um, where we're kind of like in a more increasingly secular context and people don't share our assumptions per se, you know, how do, how do we navigate that? And obviously that's a huge question. But take a stab at it, Cassie Rain. Yeah, I do wish I had a more comprehensive or assured <laughs> view of it. But yeah, I think about um, the 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 deepening distrust in institutions mm-hmm. that we've all experienced, and I put mm-hmm. myself in that camp as well. Yeah. I'm not immune yeah. to that. Um, I think about you know how do I feel about banks now, post 2008, mm-hmm. compared to how I felt about them before that Mm, mm -hmm. generally friendly useful institutions and now i have more of a distrust about their self-servingness and their underhanded dealings with the stock market and we bailed them you know just Mm -hmm. i don't even have very settled opinions on banks i'm just sort of um, (laughs) throwing that out there as an example to say it's banks it's government it's churches it's the media quote unquote it's anything that could be institutional has really suffered a credibility crisis. Mm, mm. Um, and so I think that's a, a, a much more significant obstacle um, than it was a generation ago or a few generations ago. Um, so I think also the declining credibility of the church in particular as it relates to, is this an institution that um, basically blesses the world or exploits the world. Hmm. Does this harm or mm-hmm. do good? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And lots of different issues that play into that, lots of different kinds of scandals and, and theological controversies and all of that. So I think about that as being an obstacle, but in the end, you know, not an obstacle that Christ has not um, brought his gospel to bear triumphantly over before. Like he has already triumphed over these things. And I think about Christians in the first century or second century and their, their contexts were different, but not altogether different. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, they, there was certainly, I mean, a credibility crisis would be the least of their problems, but in, in the term sense of, you know, they were considered so far outside of normal religion. It was like a weird cultic philosophy. Like what is this? Mm-hmm. Like you don't have a temple, but you're drinking blood in people's homes and like <laughs> sacrificing children or something like what's going on, you know? <laughs> um, and yet the gospel still persevered. And so I do believe that, that the gospel 
is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe in 2021 as much as it ever has been. And mm. one of the things, maybe the, the gospel remains unchanged, though the obstacles change. So our adaptation, I think in part, is going to relate to uh, how do we present the quote unquote truth of our faith? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's a very big one. So mm-hmm. am I able to just prove, you know, like, okay, everyone sit down. So first of all, let's <laughs> agree on premise A, B, and C. Mm-hmm. Now that we've mm-hmm. agreed on that and kind of, you know, inductively or deductively make uh, logical syllogisms until we arrive at their mm-hmm. membership card. Mm-hmm. Like that's not going to work, right? Yeah. And that that you put the your finger right on the issue that you and I have been going back and forth on and you know at the risk of uh of causing our listeners eyes to glaze over cuz we could we could easily slide into some big theological philosophical words but um and I'm not saying don't but at the same time yeah how do we relate to a context where, um, you know, we're not in a modern enlightened, well, I mean, we are in some ways, but, but we're not in an overtly modern context. Now our old kind of toolbox was what you've just kind of put your finger on, you know, do the, the, the point by point syllogisms and, and, you know, deductive inductive studies, um, do we have to like, and this is the question I've asked you, do we have to like convert people to a modern way of thinking in order to convert them to Christianity in general, Adventism in particular? I don't know. How do we make sense of that? Yeah. So since th- this is one of the reasons I, I take solace in the historical uh, Christianity is that Christianity, um, the gospel was triumphing before modernism was around. Mm, amen. And maybe, maybe the Seventh Day Adventist um, evangelistic approach was not around yet, but <laughs> but the but the gospel was around and it was changing lives and mm. it was it was um, saving lives. Mm. way before modernism. So I don't think we need to convert people to modernism, but I do think we need to, um, we actually need to hear the criticisms, the fair criticisms that postmodernism would bring to our modernist Mm -hmm. approach. Mm -hmm. We need to recognize that we are all situated, that we all have perspective, Mm -hmm. that we are not quote unquote objective in the way that we all used to pride ourselves on being as if we had a mm-hmm. uh, situationless view of truth and reality. Um, now, I think we can recognize that and operate from that without surrendering to perhaps where some people would want to push it to say, then I, I have no ability to know truth at all. Mm-hmm. And I have mm-hmm. no ability to share anything with anyone because you're in your situation. I'm in my situation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um so we don't need to go that far. We can take, I think we can take those very fair uh, criticisms, um, acknowledge our perspectives, have hearts that are willing to learn and be open, embrace the miracle of Christianity, which one of the miracles of Christianity is its incredible cultural richness and multiculturalism mm. and cultural adaptability. Mm-hmm. Um which is, I heard someone say, you know, it is the most diverse human movement in history, Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. this Christianity that we're doing. Um, So rather than it being how some people view it, like we actually need to get maybe reacquainted with some of the facts about um, what Christianity really is, that it's not just imperial missionaries making, you know, uh, Southeast Asians wear button up white shirts. You know, we can acknowledge mm-hmm. the errors that existed mm-hmm. for sure. We can continue to to interrogate our current missionary practices and so forth. But but the picture is a lot more complex than we or our non-Christian or post-Christian 
community friends understand it to be. Do you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so no, absolutely. Yeah, let's take it seriously. Let's take those criticisms seriously. And then let's look at the facts seriously as well and start from there. Mm-hmm. And I think when mm-hmm. we're presenting truth, we have to understand that truth is not just about the quote unquote logic. Mm-hmm. And it was never meant to be that way. God, mm-hmm. as far as I see it in scripture, has never once, I, I've read that book many times, and I have never once found a Cartesian geometrical proof mm-hmm. or anything in the Bible. Mm-hmm. 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 It Break, is, you know what I'm trying to say about that? Yeah, no, I know what you're saying. Break it down maybe a little more for the, the person sitting in the pew. What do you mean? Uh, Cartesian, you know, yeah, construct. Yeah, yeah. So, so you know, I when I was in geometry in ninth grade, you had to learn certain um, axioms about uh, the angle of incidence is equal to the angle of reflection, and so forth. And so you'd see some, you'd have some information about some complex geometrical figure, and then based on all the things you memorized that were absolutely true according to someone, then <laughs> you you proved that this angle over here was 32 degrees, you know, mm-hmm. 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 and it was all based on, okay, we all agree that these, these things are true. Now reasoning from this certainty, um, in, in these tight, uh, what really were called proofs, mm-hmm. then we arrive to a certain conclusion and people are going to be pretty reluctant to hear proofs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And part of that is, um, just the general postmodern swing also just feel how we feel in our current political environment. Mm-hmm. So try to talk to someone about um, vaccines, someone who has a different viewpoint than you, or try to talk to somebody about, you know, who has a different viewpoint on, um, I don't know, universal basic income or, or, mm-hmm. or any number mm-hmm. of things. Mm-hmm. And we tend to be really dogmatic actually. And mm-hmm. we are not open to proof. Uh, mm-hmm. No one's going to prove us wrong. In other words, Mm-hmm. Um, so when we read scripture, we don't see God proving things to us in this way that used to be held up as the rational ideal where you have premises and then you tightly reason it together in, in these, um, yeah, syllogisms, you know, Socrates is a man, uh, all men, you know, have stinky feet. Therefore, Socrates has stinky mm-hmm. feet. We don't see that in scripture. Instead, we see, for instance, uh, you know, you know this, you have, you've got a a long love affair with the Hebrew scriptures. And, Mm -hmm. you know, we've, I think we've talked in our Marco Polo about, about that emet, about the truth or truthfulness Mm -hmm. in the Old Mm -hmm. Testament and how that is really indistinguishable from faithfulness, Mm -hmm. reliability. Um, In other words, it's relational. It doesn't mm-hmm, mean that it has mm-hmm. no logical bearing or it has no correspondence with reality. It, it definitely doesn't mean that, but it actually means more than that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so when we're going to try to present a persuasive case to someone about the gospel, we can't just go, we can't just try to prove them quote unquote wrong to punch holes in their argument, mm-hmm. you know, to show, oh, well, you think you're so great. Well, let me tell you about the problems postmodernism has. <laughs> and sort of hit for tat them. Oh, I love them. that move. I mm-hmm. love that move. Yeah. 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 Classic, right? Um, yeah. So, but we actually have to be relationally faithful people. Mm-hmm. And it certainly helps a lot if we're inviting someone into a community. If it's a relationally mm-hmm. faithful, healthy, sound, prospering community, mm-hmm. and again, relationally prospering, maybe there's not a lot of money, but mm-hmm. you show mm-hmm. up for each other. Yeah. Because. And again, the gospel was meant from the beginning to to speak to the whole person. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It was meant to do that. And so mm-hmm. we miss the mark by a mile when we try to speak only to the uh, mathematical aspect mm-hmm. or the proof aspect of the way that people think. They want mm. they, they want to see that it works that actually functions and it's not just mm. abs, you know, abstractly mm-hmm. or theoretically coherent. Mm. Um, yeah. So that, that's, I, I could keep going on, yeah. but I think you get, get where I'm headed there. Oh, I love it. I love it. And, and, you know, I think maybe some people listening, 
although probably not my listeners because they kind of are wise to to my thinking now. Um, but some people might listen might think, oh my goodness, these two Adventist pastors, they, they're going all postmodern. And, and I would say, first of all, no, like you've said, you know, there's good and bad with postmodernism. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would just say that, I mean, from where I'm sitting, I, I would say that you and myself are very theologically conservative. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so we, we are, we are, we are sold out to this, this beautiful, as, as term that you mentioned a few days ago, like the storied theology is such a beautiful, rich, awesome theology. With that being said, what I've discovered in our missional life that we've been living the last number of years is that I was not prepared by my education, the same, some of which you had as well, love, love our alma mater, Mm -hmm. but, um, and it's not just them. It's like the whole system doesn't necessarily equip you to deal effectively with people who aren't coming up to you and saying, can you please prove to me that the seventh day is the Sabbath? And we're like, oh boy, you know, like we don't know what to do with people who aren't in that mode. Right. And we're like, okay, well, if they're not sold out to this highly rationalistic, you know, logical discipleship journey, then they're basically, they're basically not really interested in being a follower of Jesus or becoming a Seventh-day Adventist or fill in the blank. So we don't know what to do with people like that, right? Yeah. Yeah. We're figuring out as we go. I mean, it's a, Mm -hmm. it's a problem that our, we're, we're catching up on. Um, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's the nature of life. I don't know that people we're going to stick with something until it doesn't work. And some of us are slower or quicker than others to realize what's not working. (laughs) So yeah, no, I I totally agree that I I am completely sold out to this, to this theology and, and completely convinced of the absolute necessity and bedrock foundation of the Bible Mm, for mm -hmm. Christian faith and theology. Absolutely. I think what I, I share also your sense of feeling unprepared, you know, like the the evangelistic approaches that I was taught mm-hmm. um, work for a certain kind of person in a certain kind of context. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They would not convince me if I were not a Christian. Mm-hmm. You know, I think about myself. I'm 37 now. I think mm-hmm. about you know, what would Kessia Rain have been like without Jesus at 37? Well, based on where I was going, who I grew up around, all that kind of thing, um, I, I wouldn't have been drawn in with the approaches that I was mm-hmm. taught to use mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. others. Um, but for instance, I think about um, this is an invitation for us to actually make our theology richer. So mm-hmm. just to take one topic, um, let's think about sin. Mm-hmm. guilt that that kind of constellation there you know the way that the gospel has been presented by a lot of people and this is not just Seventh-day Adventists this is not even just evangelicals but but really it was there's a sin you have a sin problem and a guilt problem mm-hmm. but Jesus and then we explain how he took care of that therefore you know mm-hmm. be, be, be part of this thing you know say yes mm-hmm. to Jesus that's and and how people describe it might differ, but that's essentially how it worked. Mm-hmm. People today are don't feel guilty about the things that evangelists think they do. <laughs> <laughs> true, true. Do you know what I'm saying? I mean, I mm-hmm. talk with young adults, and they know I'm a Christian pastor, and you know they're they're working through their life, and they very openly share things with me that I think I would have blushed about mm-hmm. when I was their age. Huh. Yeah. Um, or certainly my parents would have been reluctant to talk to a pastor about it. now. I'm not, I am glad that they're talking to me about them, but mm-hmm. they don't go to bed at night racked with guilt is what I mean. Mm-hmm. So I can't mm-hmm. come to them and say, Oh, you know, Oh, sinner has mm-hmm. alcohol touched your lips. <laughs> you know? Have you found yourself in a compromising situation with a young lady recently? Mm-hmm. You know, your mm-hmm. heart racked with guilt. Come lay your burdens on Jesus. Mm-hmm. They're like, uh, cool story, bro. <laughs> like, <laughs> this means nothing to me. Um, 
I don't feel guilty about that whatsoever. Mm -hmm. uh, th so just the idea that there's a divine law that you've transgressed that you should feel bad about, mm -hmm. that's not really in the cultural psyche in lots of sectors that I'm interacting with. And I don't know if that's the same for you. Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. But yeah, yeah, just our sense of moral morals and ethics and, and guilt and shame have just completely exploded. Mm -hmm. And so I was talking with someone the other day who grew up in a Christian home and really felt like, I'm not feeling it. And Jesus was like a good guy and a good teacher. And he's really nice. And he'll let me into whatever heaven means. You know, I'm sure he'll mm -hmm. let me in there someday because like mm -hmm. I'm basically a good person. And instead of saying, you know, oh, oh, dear, dear <laughs> sinner, let me point out to you, uh, you know, how yeah. you've how you're not perfect. Yeah, you're gluttonous and, and all that kind of stuff. I actually started talking to her about um, about plastic. Plastic. Okay. Plastic. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I have a real concern. I have a real burden about plastic, Sean. I don't know if you know. Oh that. man, this has taken a, an interesting turn, but go ahead, please. <laughs> up, no. But basically <laughs> I was telling her about, you know, sometimes I think about all the disposable razors I've used in my life. Mm, I've been yeah. shaving my legs for like so long, like 25 <laughs> years or something. And I think about all those, you know, plastic razors I've used or that every toothbrush I've ever used in my life is in a landfill somewhere. Hmm. And, you know, the, mm -hmm. the, 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 my complicity in ecological harm, mm -hmm. racial harm, gender harm, uh, harm against uh, queer folks. Mm -hmm. harm against um, children who are making clothes that are uh, mm -hmm. commissioned mm -hmm. by fast fashion that I pick up for $14.99. Mm. One of the things that we have learned and become more conscious of is the way that we are people in webs of relationship that include webs of responsibility. And, and we have responsibilities now we, we have burdens, we have a kind of um, guilt for our participation in these structures that harm and injure. Mm. And I, I brought that up to her sharing honestly about things I have struggled with for years, wondering about how does the gospel relate to this? And I, I've come to a better understanding now over these years of that. But just to say, it's not just about... Um, you broke your you broke some mm -hmm. rule that your grandma thinks that God has. Yeah. So you should feel guilty, but Jesus will save you from a guilt you don't feel. Mm -hmm. Like there's we actually bear culpability for mm -hmm. things bigger than ourselves that we can't extricate ourselves from. Mm -hmm. I and I just shared with her, I need a savior. I need mercy. Mm -hmm. I need forgiveness. And and you do too, and yeah. you know, but, but in other words, that's just what I hope would be an illustration of what we what we learn together, what we are learning together, what, what we're becoming more aware of doesn't need to be an opportunity for us to retrench ourselves deeper and deeper into a quote unquote modern mindset where we're just trying to convince people, no, this is the truth and, and you don't mm -hmm. know it yet, mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. it can actually be a, a rich invitation for us to struggle wrestle grasp press forward together because god is the god of truth mm -hmm. and his truth will prevail if i pursue truth i'm safe in his care and so this can be an opportunity for our theology to actually be enriched and broadened so i can understand sin in a broader way now so that mm -hmm. it actually helps me sean honestly mm -hmm. understand salvation in a broader way i can appreciate mm -hmm. salvation mm -hmm. in a way mm -hmm. i could not have before I, I knew what I know now, thanks to mm. postmodern mm. critique. Yeah, I love that. I love that. So good. I, I wish we could talk all afternoon, but unfortunately, you and I have, have appointments that we have to get to. But yeah, I think what I hear you saying, just to kind of put a bow on that, is that um, maybe we've also suffered from a very, again, hopefully my audience will understand what I mean, but a very... Um, 
narrow forensic understanding of the whole thing, right? Like it's just this arbitrary list of rules or laws that you, you violated and, and, and we haven't presented it. What I hear you saying in a, in its social relational, uh, even environmental dimensions, um, mm-hmm. and, and, and connecting those dots for people, which would help them see how, you know, one of yours and my favorite authors, Ellen White talks about this kind of circuit of beneficence, how mm-hmm. it's all like we receive to give and round and round it goes, but that circuit has been, you know, short circuited with, with, with humanity and how God is trying to restore our role in that in that circuit. And that's kind of what I hear you saying. Mm, yes, you said it very well. I <laughs> and, and said it better and added wonderful things. I, I really appreciate that, Sean. Yeah, like no, that that's, that's cool. Well, listen, Kessie Rain, thank you so much for coming on and for sharing such rich, awesome thoughts that you shared. And I'm looking forward to our further Marco Polos. And uh, I know our audience won't get in on those, but I can maybe relate to them, what you share with me. Uh, But thank you so much for coming on and all the best to you as you try to do all that you do, pastoring, mothering, wifing, is that a thing? Um, (laughs) Writing your dissertation and looking forward to chatting again soon. Yes, thank you, Sean. It's been a pleasure. God bless. God bless you. Thank you for listening to Mission Lab. Our theme song is Portland Hike by Tiny Music. Additional editing by Chris Ogang. Follow us on Twitter at MLabPodcast.